So John chapter 6 and verse 1. John writes and says, After these things Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. How many of you know that signs will draw large crowds? How many of you know that prayer will not? Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now I want you to notice something. Jesus is taking personal responsibility to feed the crowds that have come. So God cares about meeting our needs, does he not? So he asked Philip, what are we going to do? Verse 6 says, this he was saying to test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. Did you know that God will ask you questions in order to test you? That God will ask questions. He will require things of you to test you. But he knows all along what he intends to do. Many times before a great breakthrough or before a great blessing manifests in our lives, God will come to us and He will ask us a question because He's wanting to till the soil of our hearts so that our motives are pure when the breakthrough comes or when the blessing manifests. So He says, what are you going to do? He asks him a question, knowing what he intends to do. What questions is God asking you in your life right now? The Father wants to ask each and every one of us a question. Now, it's not a a, a question that's going to set you up to fail. See, the minute that I say that God wants to ask you a question, it calls into view your perception of God. See, some of us don't really trust God. And some of us struggle to really lean on the Lord because we don't believe in our hearts that He is dependable. That He's not going to leave us hanging. See, sometimes walking by faith looks like this. It says, I'm going to lean this way, and though I can't see anything physically that's going to hold me up, I'm actually going to start to lean. And I'm going to believe that God is going to be there and that He's going to hold me up. Does anybody remember when trust falls were really popular? You'd be in public somewhere and your friend would run up and turn around and say, trust fall. And it, would, it was like, a, you got to catch them because they were going down. I don't know that any of us would really do a trust fall on Jesus if we didn't believe He was actually there. Sometimes when we're struggling in our lives, we need to do a trust fall. We need to just say, Jesus, I know you're there. I'm leaning. I'm trusting. The Father wants to ask us all a question. It's an individual question. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just here to tell you that the gospel is full of Jesus asking people questions. So what question is the Lord asking you in this season of your life? Maybe the question is, why do you believe so small? Maybe the question is, why don't you trust me to heal your marriage? Why don't you trust me to change your heart or change your circumstances? Philip answered him, verse 7, 200 denarii, which is a denarius is equivalent to a day's wages. 200 days wages worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone even to receive just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Say five loaves and two fish. fish. Or if you're in Kentucky, you say fishes. 
But what are these for so many people? Jesus says, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. There's a lot of people here. There's not just 5,000, there's 5,000 men. And then perhaps their wives and families and kids. There's a whole huge crowd of people that are gathered for the signs that Jesus is performing and they're hungry. And somebody says, there's five loaves and two fish. I think that's funny. It would be like if we said, hey, we forgot to announce that there's a church pitch in today, but we have a box of crackers. And we hope that the 200 of you, we've got crackers. Lord, we've got crackers, but, but what do we do? There's a problem, there's a need, and Jesus intends to meet their physical needs. But he always uses what's in front of him. He always uses what is available to him. I want to ask you if your five loaves and two fish are available to the Lord. You say, oh God, I don't have enough to, to fix this problem. I don't have enough to bring resolution to the situation. Yeah, but do you have something to offer that God could multiply it? See, we're guilty of looking at a need that overwhelms us. And we say, well, I can't meet the need. And we use it as an excuse to hold back what we do have. Jesus then took the loaves. And having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, would you say filled? He said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now, if you just glance over this story, you can almost miss the fact that somehow five loaves and two fishes just fed thousands of people. And we don't know exactly what this looked like. We don't have all the details. But I guess the fish and the bread were just, they just kept coming. They, there was just, now was there enough or was there an abundance? This is the strangest part of this story to me, is that Jesus wants to collect the leftovers. Now we started with five loaves and two fish. And they're like, um, we don't even have enough just to give everybody a bite. Because the disciples in their mind are thinking meagerly. Everybody's hungry. We'll have them sit down and we'll give them a bite. And here's Jesus like, hey, watch this. I'm going to provide more than enough. Has anybody ever heard this statement? It goes something like this. God wants to meet your needs, but not your wants. Anybody here today? God cares about your needs, but, but beyond that, you're on your own. I want to invite you to wrestle with that thought and tell me if it's actually from the lens of the Scriptures. Tell me if that's not a projection onto God of our own meager expectations. Here's Jesus who wants the leftovers collected. I don't know about you, but it almost seems like a trophy. It seems like a prize. Hey, I just want you to know that we had more than enough and this is how much leftover we had. And it doesn't say that everybody got a bite and was happy. Oh, Jesus served us appetizers and hors d'oeuvres. No, it says that there was more than enough and they were filled. So Jesus offers a buffet and you can have as much as you want and there's going to be leftovers because God always provides more than enough and He cares about your needs, but He has no lack within Himself. 
But what we do is we project our own lack onto God and we start serving a meager father who wants to put the breadcrumbs in front of you in your life and keep you wanting. Does the famous psalm not say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? What if our lack is simply a manifestation of our unbelief? These are the moments where everybody starts to get nervous. Oh, oh no, did we lose him? He's, I think he, is that the prosperity gospel? We're all terrified of the prosperity gospel, so we justify believing the poverty gospel. I'm telling you that poverty plagues more people than prosperity ever will. Because poverty is a mentality and poverty is a curse. The reason why poverty is a mentality, and I'll prove it to you, is this. Is that if you gave me ten people or ten families with a poverty mindset and we gave them all a million dollars, enough time would pass and they would be back in poverty. Because they would mismanage and missteward the abundance. They wouldn't know what to do with the leftovers. They would just get spoiled. And here's Jesus showing off a bit, I think. Like, hey boys, go ahead and collect the leftovers. Put them in baskets and bring them up here. And if anybody gets a second wind in their appetite, they're welcome. Do you believe God for an abundance in your life? I prophesied to this church at the beginning of this year. The word of the Lord came to me and I saw like two books. And it was the year 2023 and 2024. And the Lord told me that there would be an abundance for those who would sow abundantly even in a famine. And I specifically saw the transition of properties and the increase not just of wealth but of spiritual influence. I want to do a checkup this morning here in the middle of this year and ask you if you're believing God. God for an abundance or if you're still counting five loaves and two fish if you're overwhelmed by the need around you but you first have to make your five loaves and two fish available to the Lord some of us don't see multiplication because we're not even in the game we don't even have anything offered up before the Lord And I don't even mean this financially, I mean spiritually. Do you believe that God can meet every spiritual need that you have? Do you believe that God is capable and able of actually delivering you from the discouragement and unbelief that has plagued you your whole life? Do you believe that God has so much power within Himself that He could put His Spirit inside of you and drive out every lie that you believe about Him? You know what is an absolute waste of time in ministry? I'll tell you. It's wanting it for people more than they want it for themselves. I have determined in my life to never, ever do that again. And I'll probably do it because I really care and I really want to see people set free. But I've learned that you can lead people to water and you can't make them drink it. And the moment you do, you're in sin. And I've tried to just boom. You will see the truth. It doesn't work. The old adage that used to go around in the 60s and 70s was that a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So you're going to have to get your own faith. You're going to have to see through the lens of the Word of God the true character and nature of Jesus. What miracle did He perform where they were barely scraping by? What manifestation do you find where it was like, oh, um, th- we need $100 and Jesus was like, uh, hey, Thomas, do you, do you have 10? Andrew, do you have 10? Mary, do you have 10? And it, we need 10 people to give $10. And, and we'll have 100. And the minute that the 11th person comes, we'll say, no, 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 it's okay. The, the need has been met. I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret. Oh, it's nasty. 
Did you know that when it comes to the church and money, it's the only place where people say, well, how much do you need? Can you imagine if you showed up as a nurse and you were in a job interview and they said, so what are your bills? Did you know that many churches have partnered with the poverty spirit? And they believe that this is another old phrase. I know some of you old timers, excuse me, seasoned saints, <laughs> vintage believers. I know you've heard this one. God will keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. I'm grateful that none of that is here, but I want to address it because it's on the body of Christ. Some of you know that I've been traveling and ministering in different places. I'm telling you, the minute that I bring up money, people seize up. I mean, it's like a blast of cold air and people... <gasps> because there's something wrong in our hearts. Because you're about to touch the idol that rules our lives. Money is a tool. Money is a powerful tool. I'm friends with wealthy people, and you know what they tell me? We get treated like dirt until there's a building fund. We're made to feel ashamed that we have wealth, but boy, when you need a million-dollar building, they like to call us. Do you know how sick and sinister that is? Do you know how completely wrong and anti-Christ that actually really is? So here's Jesus with an abundance and he's providing more than enough and he wants to collect leftovers. I no longer believe that God simply wants to meet your needs and doesn't care about anything else. I just can't find it in the Bible. You say, oh, well, there was manna in the wilderness and it expired. Yeah, you just proved my point. There was more than enough. But he was teaching them dependence. He was saying, hey, it's going to be there tomorrow. I'm going to satisfy your needs, but I'm going to give you enough just to tempt you. Just to see if you'll obey. Because the lesson there was obedience. God didn't look down at his people in the wilderness and say, well, I guess there's... 900,000 of them, so here comes 900,000 pieces of manna. God doesn't think like we do, and this is our problem. Here are the disciples, five loaves, two fish, we're in trouble. What do you do? Jesus asked the question, and the whole time he knew what he was about to do. He knew that he was about to feed the people. He knew that he was about to work a great miracle in their midst. He knew that there was going to be an abundance. There was going to be more than enough. Again, I ask you, at what point do you see Jesus saying, well, we'll just give you exactly what you need? Because where real stewardship comes in is in the more than enough. What amount of money could somebody give you that you could not then turn and give away? Does anybody else like to deflect? That's like one of my favorite games. Someone says, the Lord led me to give you $1,000. I say, praise the Lord. God, who do you want me to give $1,000 to? You just go, boop, boop. It's like a game. It's like Tetris. Or no, what's the old one with the ball? Thank you. Pong. What amount of money? See, because the minute that money gets offered up, people latch on. If I said, we're going to do a giveaway at our father's house on Sunday and we're going to give away $10,000, there would be standing room only. Because people will show up to take, but God wants to develop the heart of a giver inside of his children. He wants to develop a belief for more than enough, not for you, but for others. It never says that Jesus ate. Earlier it says that they wanted to know if he had actually had some food and he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, you guys are still thinking naturally, but I'm here on a spiritual mission. You guys okay? How are we doing? Another one of my favorite stories, we won't turn there, John 21. 
Jesus is resurrected and he appears at the beach. And what does he find his disciples doing? Fishing. I don't know about you, but that would be insulting. I found you fishing. I trained you for three years to minister. And I die, I'm resurrected, and you're fishing. You're not carrying what I called you to carry. You're not doing what I commanded you to do. You're fishing. And Jesus shows up, not with an ounce of anger. He shows up with kindness, and he wants to make them breakfast. But this is the cool part, ready? They fish all night, and they don't catch anything. How many of you know that when you try to go back to a former season, you don't catch anything? You just spend a long, lonely night out in a boat under the stars and God causes you to rethink a few things about your life. See, when you return back to your vomit, when you try to go back to your old life, once you've heard the truth, you become of the most miserable people. There is a serious misery that comes. There is a lack that comes upon people that hear the truth and believe and then try to turn away. What am I telling you? You can run, but you can't hide. And God will pursue you and He will track you down and He will find you and He will nag you and He will keep speaking of His love and His truth to you. Why? Because you know the truth and He's trying to set you free to walk in it. You guys have heard me say this before, but it's like people say, Paul, I just couldn't get your words out of my head. When I was sinning, I would just like hear you preaching. And I'm like, you were just hearing God. Yeah. That has nothing to do with me. Otherwise, that would be weird. It's the presence of God. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of truth speaking to your heart and pleading with you. So they go out and they spend a long night in a boat fishing and they don't catch anything. Why? Because God is opposing them to teach them a lesson. And then in John 21, I love this. This ministers to my heart so much. Jesus shows up and John clarifies, they don't know it's Jesus. So the boys are out fishing. Jesus is dead. <laughs> and they're back fishing. And a dude shows up on the shore and says, Hey, y'all caught anything? And they look and they go, No. And he says, Well, just cast your net on the other side. And it says that there was an abundance of fish to the point where they couldn't even really pull it in the boat. Now, these are some strong brothers. These are some fishermen. They've been doing this their whole life. How many fish did they need? I think if you read it, there were like five of them on the boat. So did Jesus give them five fish? Did Jesus give them ten and say, you can have seconds? Jesus gives them so much fish. And this is the cool part. The minute that Peter sees there's an abundance, he says, it's the Lord. Oh, there's way too much here. It must be God. And he takes his garments off and he starts swimming towards the Lord. Why? Because Peter had a deep association with God in abundance. And the minute that he saw more than enough, his heart was opened in faith and he said, It's God. It's the Lord. It's time to go. Whoops, we shouldn't have been fishing anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't shame him. Jesus doesn't condemn them. Jesus says, here, I made you breakfast. Bring some of the fish. Let's eat. So if you're here this morning and you're trapped in a poverty mindset and you're trapped in a mentality that you believe that God simply will maybe meet your needs, maybe not, I'm here to tell you that there's more than enough. That there's an abundance. That God will meet your needs and then some. Why? Because He will test your heart with thee and then some. This applies to your spiritual life as well. I had somebody tell me that they don't speak in tongues because God doesn't want them to speak in tongues. I said, okay, well that's interesting. How did you get there? I mean, I'm listening. I'm like, this is a new one. This will be good. 
Yeah, God doesn't, God doesn't want me to. Really? Tell me how you got there. They say, well, because of the presence of pride in my life and because I've actually walked in every other spiritual gift, but he knows that if I could speak in tongues, I, I, would, I would be proud. I said, well, why don't you just repent of your pride and receive the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues? Like you, you, you've elevated your pride and your idolatry and projected it onto God. I said, so Psalm 84, and I take them to the Word of God. Psalm 84 says that you will lack no good thing for those who walk uprightly. I said, so what you're telling me is a lie that you believe about God that has blocked you and prevented you from experiencing more of Him. Did Jesus say, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your own children? Then He says, how much more will your heavenly Father give, Luke says, the Holy Spirit? I said, so listen to me. It's me talking to them. If Jesus said, how much more does your father want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What you're telling me is that you're asking for more of the Holy Spirit, but God is a trickster and he's not giving it to you. I don't believe that. You say, well, my prayer life is weak and dry. God wants to make it rain in your life. Was it Elijah that said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain? And say, oh, here comes a trickle. Here comes God just to drop a little drop. Oh, I'm so thirsty. <laughs> said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Romans 8 says, that God gave us his own son, and if he did not spare his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? See, what I read is a God that's postured to give us more than enough. But how we live is that we're going to end up in lack, that we're going to end up scraping by. And here is the mind-blowing thing. The people that believe that, live that. We're not taking up a second offering. We don't need your money. The church is healthy financially. This is for you to be healthy in your own soul. This is so that you can rightly relate to the abundance that's coming and so that you can associate it with God and not yourself. Peter didn't say, oh, we hit the jackpot. Look what we did, boys. He said, oh, it's the Lord. It all comes from God. It's the one who gave us the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge. It's the one who gave me the ability to earn wealth. It's the one who made me smart enough to survive 10 years of medical school or whatever you did. Because he gets all the credit and all the glory. Let's keep reading. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to do what? Say it louder. Make king. To make him king. Withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. This has got to be one of the most stunning pictures of humility there is. Can you imagine if somebody knocked on your door and it was the federal government that said, hey, there was actually a clause in the Constitution and we took a vote and you're now the President of the United States and you're going to have the power and you're going to get the button and you're going to be able to push detonate if you want to. You're going to be able to send this country to war. You're going to be the Commander in Chief. You're going to have extreme power given to you. And you said, no thanks. And you shut the door. Here they come seizing Jesus to make him king. Is Jesus a king? Did he not say to Pilate in John 19, I am a king? And here they come to seize him to make him king. And Jesus goes, no, I got more work to do. 
What if God would actually lead you to reject false promotion so that you can get the real one when it's actually from Him? People will puff you up. They will prop you up. They will want to see you successful so that they can tag along with you. But it's actually not God. So he says, no thanks. Verse 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now two miracles here. Not only is Jesus walking on water, but the minute he gets in the boat, they're immediately at their destination. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, it's me, Jesus? He just said, it's I? Well, that could only be one person. So they associated the miraculous with God. They didn't say, who's I? They said, oh, we're terrified. Please get in the boat. We can't walk on water, but you can. Get in the boat. They receive him immediately. They're where they were going. I wonder if we could be expedited in our journey to where God ultimately wants to take you and I if we would simply believe that it is I. Some of y'all didn't hear me. They confess it's, it's, it's Him. And immediately they're expedited forward in their journey. I believe it's a prophetic picture. But you know what? Some of us want to debate Jesus walking on water, performing the miraculous, signs and wonders at His disposal. And we want to lean over the side of the boat and say, tell me your name and your social security number. <laughs> tell me the last five miracles you performed in order. You know, I can't actually remember a time that you came through for me because I just live in doubt and unbelief because I'm just ungrateful. I face a bigger challenge and because I couldn't slay the lion and the bear, I'm intimidated by Goliath. And God wants to bring us all the way back to the lion and teach us. If he came through for you then, he's going to come through for you now. Faith is supposed to be like building blocks and stepping stones. Before I could give away five figures, I had to give away four figures. And before I could give away four figures, I had to give away three. And before I could give away three, I had to give away two. What am I saying? You've got to grow and you've got to graduate. What if we believed for an abundance and for more than enough so that we could meet every need? Did Paul not teach about money in the new covenant that it would be more than enough for the giving unto every good work? It says that God is generous. Do you know why God loves a cheerful giver? Because he's the most cheerful giver that's ever lived. The word there for cheerful is hilaros. It's like hilarious. God loves hilarious givers. He delights when we give cheerfully, when we give with joy. Listen, if your heart still has a, a hold of your money, just, just keep it. Keep it in your pocket and then just go seek the Lord and say, God, change my heart so that I can be a cheerful giver. I want everybody to know the euphoria. And I mean it is a euphoric experience to live a generous lifestyle. To believe God for more than enough. But do you know when you're plagued by poverty and God leads you to give money away or to give as unto the Lord, you immediately start thinking about what you could have done with that money? I'm here to confront you that it's not your money. That it belongs to God. That He owns it all. I heard Miles Monroe say that we give 10% to justify keeping the 90 for ourselves. God owns it all. 
If he can put it in your bank, he can take it out of your bank. What if we just live that way? I'm serious. We've been asking each other, and I've been before the Lord, can I actually write a check for every dollar that belongs to me? Because if I can't, then I'm worshiping God. I'm worshiping money and not God. Isn't that so interesting that Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also? He says, you cannot serve God and money. You will either hate the one and love the other. Meaning if you love money, you actually hate God. Let's keep going. Are we okay? I'm going to share the dream, I promise. He said to them, verse 20, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea was, they were there, there was no small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus wasn't there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, he didn't say this, but it's like, you know, last night I walked on water. When did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, please hear these words. You seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Many people seek God only for what he can do for them. Many people seek Jesus out with selfish desires. Some people even give unto God because they're afraid of what will happen if they don't. And here's God loving a cheerful giver, not a fearful giver. It would be better for you to keep your 10% in your pocket. I'm serious now, I mean this. It would be better for you to keep your 10% in your pocket than to give it in fear. God, make me a cheerful giver. Confront in me everything that doesn't believe that you actually provide more than enough. Why have I believed about you that you can only meet my needs and nothing more when I can't actually find that in the scriptures. You guys doing okay? One more verse. 27. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him the Father, God, has set His seal. Now, is Jesus instructing us to quit our jobs? No. Jesus is trying to reorient our priorities so that our job doesn't become our God. If your schedule your work schedule inhibits the life of God, I would ask you to take it before the Lord and question it. I was so encouraged talking to someone recently, and they said, I know that job offer can't be from God because it would prevent me from fellowshipping with my spiritual family. I said, now there's a spiritually mature person. Who has their priorities straight. But you know what? If you have a poverty mentality, you think, Oh God, I might not get another job and i got to take this one. Rather than believing, No, God is going to provide for me more than enough and He wants my life in Him to be a number one priority. Did Jesus not say, Seek first His kingdom 
and the rest of these things will be added to you. In other words, you make me your top priority and I'll prioritize your needs. But you know what happens when you prioritize your own needs? You neglect the kingdom of God entirely. Because the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God is a reward system that you cannot see. Didn't Jesus say it's more blessed to give than receive? What an absurd statement. If I give you $100, how am I more blessed? Because in the natural, I'm now at a deficit of $100, am I not? Whatever amount of money I had, I have $100 less. And Jesus is saying, you're more blessed to be in that position than to be the one receiving. Why? Because there are spiritual rewards that come when we give as unto the Lord. And here's what I'm going to tell you. When you begin to sow generously, does the word of God say you will reap sparingly? Does it say you can outgive me so when you really go all in, I'm going to cut you short? What if the key to reaping generously is sowing generously? But then here's the test. Once you start reaping generously, can you continue sowing generously? The earth is full and history is full of people. They passed the test here. God gave them this. They passed that test. God gave them this. And as God continued, then something shifted. They move. You can start out a giver and become a taker. You can live in fear, get set free, and then become greedy. I love what Barry Nichols says, don't be deceived. Jesus called the Pharisees lovers of money and they still tithe. Just because you tithe doesn't mean you're not wrapped up in your money. Just because we give, did you know you can be generous and greedy at the same time? Why? Because the heart is desperately wicked. And here's Jesus saying, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. This tells me that my life in God is the most important thing that I have going. It says in Acts 2 that they were devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. They were continually devoting themselves. They were perpetually given over. Let me ask you a question. Are you devoted to fellowship? Are you devoted to prayer? Are you devoted to the breaking of bread? Are you devoted to the word of God and the apostles' teaching? Because if you are not devoted to it, you will be devoted to something else. My dad couldn't make it this morning, but he's one of seven children. And I'm here to tell you the truth about what happened in our family. It's this. He made fellowship in the local church a priority. And it cascaded a blessing on down to his children that unfortunately wasn't realized in the other siblings. Because they didn't prioritize fellowship in the house of the Lord. Not like they should have. The enemy will make every temptation to draw you away from fellowship, to pull you away from prayer. Isn't it crazy what starts happening when you say, tonight at 9 p.m., I'm going to spend time with Jesus, and at 8.59, something breaks out. That's spiritual warfare. You've got to fight through the warfare. You've got to contend. You've got to press in. You've got to make the Lord a priority. So here I am dreaming this morning. I'm going to get up really early like I do on Sunday mornings and seek the Lord. And I wake up from a dream and this was the dream. And then I had this dream repeatedly because I went back to sleep. No, I knew. I said, okay, that was the Lord. I'm going to rest. 
In the dream, I'm walking in a desert and I'm completely famished. I feel like I'm at the point of death. I cannot go any further. I am in complete and total lack. I have nothing but my clothes on and I'm walking through the desert and I'm thirsty and I'm looking for something to eat or a drink of water. I feel like, oh God, I'm going to die. And I'm feeling that fear come over me that my life is ending and I'm walking in this desert and I walk into a man who's standing right in front of me and he takes his hands and he does like this and he reaches in himself and it's like sleight of hand is the only way I can describe it. It was supernatural. He reaches in his hands and he pulls out this beautiful looking piece of bread and if you know me I love bread <laughs> a lot like I would rather eat good bread than have ice cream it's it's just a thing some of you are condemning me right now I don't <laughs> I love bread banana bread if anybody bakes anyway <laughs> I'll go on a diet next month. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Pulls out this piece of bread. And I take it out of his hand. And the second that it touches my mouth, boom, I revive. I immediately, <gasps> like, I feel like I'm on cloud nine. I'm full of strength. I feel like I'm completely rested. Like I've eaten and I'm healthy and I'm ready to go. And then I wake up. And I wake up from that dream and I think, well, I could strive. I could pull myself out of bed, which I'm good at. Because it's not about getting up early, it's about going to bed early. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen, you're not going to sustain a lifestyle in the morning at 5 a.m. if you go to bed at 1 a.m. It don't work that way. Go to bed at 8. You'll be all right. Maybe we don't make 6 a.m. prayer on Tuesday because we try midnight at Monday. Maybe try going to bed early to prioritize prayer. It's just a thought. So I thought, well, I could, I could strive. I could strain. Or I could just rest in the presence of the Lord, knowing that God's going to refresh and revive me. And I have the dream over and over and over. So for like two hours, I dreamed the same dream that I'm dying in a desert in complete lack. And I meet a man who gives me something to eat and I'm immediately strengthened and revived by this bread that came from within him. So Jesus says right here in these words in John 6, I am the bread of life. And it offends the Pharisees. How can you be the bread of life? And he invites them to eat of him. I want to invite you to eat of Jesus this morning. We've reserved the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, which is the body and blood of Jesus. That's not eating a meal. Breaking bread scripturally is the body and blood of Christ. We've reserved that this morning because I want to invite you, especially if you are weary if you are tired, if you feel like you lack in your life, if you feel like you are wandering through a desert and you are looking for water, you are looking for food, you are completely famished, I want to invite you this morning to come and to eat of the bread of life who is Jesus. So here's how we're going to facilitate this. We're going to do communion differently than we normally do it, okay? Normally, we have you come up the front and exit out the sides. We're going to do the reverse. Can you say reverse? So what that means is you in this section are going to go up that side wall. You guys are going to go up this side wall. And they're going to stand over here. And if you are particularly weary, if you are tired, if there is a lack in your life, if you are struggling even with what I've said about believing God for an abundance, I want you to come and receive the body and blood of Jesus. And we're just going to make room for you to kneel in this altar up here. 
if you would stand with me and to seek the Lord and to ask Jesus give me something to eat or be like the woman at the well in John 4 who said give me some of this drink give me this living water I'm going to pray I just want to ask if you would put your eyes on the Lord right now in this moment and we're going to again invite the Holy Spirit to come and work and if that's not you you can receive communion and you can go back to your seat through the middle aisle but if that's you this morning when I'm done praying I want you to come and everybody can receive the Lord's Supper and if you need to stay and remain in this altar and get some things figured out with God you have the liberty to do that is that clear to everybody? Father in the name of Jesus I ask that you would give us the bread of life this morning that you would give us what we need and then some, Lord. I ask that there would be an abundance in this house. That we would be a people that believes you for more than enough. God, I thank you that you're so much bigger than our lack. Father, I ask that you would move mountains of unbelief this morning. That you would break the power of a poverty mentality. That you would deliver us as your people from doubting you. And from thinking that we're always going to have to scrape by. Father, I thank you that in our greatest hour of need, that you appear and you meet us right where we are. And you give us of yourself. You give us more of you. Lord, would you supply the bread of life that there would be an abundance that there would be leftovers this morning that we would collect all the testimonies that there would be more than enough that there would not just be the meeting of every need but that there would be an abundance in Jesus name God we come out of agreement with fear that would tell us that we're always going to live in lack. Spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally. Father, we hear the sound of the abundance of rain. We come out of agreement with every poverty, every impoverished thought about you. And we ask that you would make us cheerful givers. That you would make us sons and daughters to you, Father. Lord, would you refresh every weary heart in this place. Every discouraged, every broken hearted person. God, we ask that you would meet every need and then some. Father, I pray for those that are here this morning. That are looking for a friend. God, I ask that you would give them friends. I ask, Lord, that those that feel disenfranchised, that you would give them a family. That those who are completely isolated and alone, that you would set them up in this house to be a member of this body in a mighty way. Lord, we receive your body and your blood this morning. We do this in remembrance of you, Jesus, and your sacrifice for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.